Welcome to the Magic Pisces Podcast. Before the ayahuasca. Magic Pisces Podcast. We are on a roll. Check out Course in Miracles Podcast. Thanks for listening. There are still a few downloads in the Magic Pisces Podcast. I, people are listening here and there, so thanks to all of you. But not as many as used to listen, and I think a lot of that has to do with consistency. I haven't been consistent. Consistency and commitment. It just kind of fizzled out, and I became very much uninspired. And I've been praying for inspiration, like saying, God, will you please inspire me? Will you please inspire me? And today I picked up the guitar, plugged that motherfucker in, and wrote a pretty freaking cool song, or at least glued some different parts of a song I've been working on or a couple different parts together into something workable. We'll see if it becomes a, a full song. So, in other words, God is inspiring me. Is God inspiring you? Inspiration in spirit. Downloads. Getting a download. I'm grateful for the other podcast. It just keeps going up and up and up and up and up. And I don't know about you, but I have to, like, put my ass on the line in order to get anything done at all. So... You know, it's a lesson It's a lesson a day for 365 days, the Course in Miracles podcast, or that the Course in Miracles is a lesson a day for 365 days. And I have these people who I've, I had never met listening and sending me messages, and so now I'm accountable to them. They're kind of like bosses. I don't do well. I don't do well without a boss. I just need, if I could just have a boss for life, like, if I could just hire a boss that could, like, fire me from the job of being Dave if I fail at my job duties, I, I would literally I would literally be a fucking millionaire. We all need a boss. Coaches, I, coaches, if you get the right coach, a coach can be really good at, with accountability and stuff, but it's still not a boss. I need a boss. I need a boss, and if I, if I don't, fulfill the duties of being Dave, then I become like Steve. I don't want to be Steve. My boss would say, Dave, you have to release more Magic Pisces episodes or you will become Steve. You know, that super fucking lame dude from the coffee shop that always plays his music without headphones. You'll become him if you fuck this Dave thing up. If I would literally be a millionaire. Not wanting to be Steve would turn me into a millionaire. Anyway, um, hope you're having a good day. I watched, I wanted to talk about the Chris Rock special. I just watched the Chris Rock special on Netflix. I'd actually canceled Netflix because I never really watched it. And so I was saving the $15 a month or the $16 a month. And I heard about this Chris Rock thing, so I re-signed up for Netflix. And, you know, the, the first part of it was pretty good. It's, it's not Chris Rock's best comedy. He had another special, comedy special, a few, maybe two, three, maybe even four years ago that I, I couldn't make it very far in either. It's, again, it's not his best comedy. I mean, bigger and blacker. That is, that is, some, that is as funny, if not funnier. Uh, that is as funny, if not funnier, than Eddie Murphy Raw. And the one after that, I think it's called Never Scared, where he's talking about Michael Jackson. That shit is pure comedy gold. Those two. There might be another one. Bring the Pain. That one's good, too. Those three are brilliant. I mean, it's like any artist, kind of like early on, they start out, they have something solid, and then they will typically evolve for two or three albums. Uh, any sort of art, they will, they will typically evolve naturally for a couple of artistic productions, and then they will have to reinvent themselves in order to not sort of slip. And I was... Um, I was listening to an interview with actually Billy Corgan on the Joe Rogan podcast a while back. I think I've talked about this on here, but I'll talk about it again. He was talking about how artists need to reinvent themselves in order to keep putting out good art. And I don't know about you, but 
Smashing Pumpkins just really the only in my opinion their only great great album is Siamese Dream. The one before that, Gish, I've heard a lot of people say is a great album, but I I just can't listen to it. I never was able to listen to it all the way through. I was never able to become completely absorbed into that album, and so that in and of itself. I, I can't classify it as a great album. This is obviously just me. <laughs> so you're entitled to your opinion. Um, but Siamese Dream is an absolute masterpiece. And I listen to that album, I mean, once in a while I'll pull it out and listen to it all the way through from beginning to end. And it's just an absolute masterpiece from start to finish. And the one that came out after that, I was so looking forward to it. I believe that was 1995, in Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. And it just, it's just not, it just, like, yeah, I know that it sold a ton of records and it made them, or it sold a ton of copies and it made them very rich and there was a huge mega tour and there were a bunch of number one hits off of it, but it just, it never really did it for me. And it's interesting talking with Billy, or listening to Billy Corgan talk with Joe Rogan about this. He was basically saying that, the money basically tore them apart. It wasn't necessarily the money so much as it was the recognition that Billy Corgan got and the, that the rest of the band was not getting. And so they would have a, a press conference and they would ask Billy Corgan a question and they, they would ask Billy Corgan questions and they wouldn't ask anyone else questions. And so they all became, and that's just one example. There would also be like, Example, there would also be instances where Billy Corgan, excuse me, Billy Corgan was on the cover of Rolling Stone just by himself and none of the other band members were. And so then they're all just getting like furious with him, but they're not even really sure that they're furious. And so they're all, the, the relationships amongst them or among them are becoming fractured, but they don't realize it. And so that obviously translates into the music. But he was talking about how they're just kids, you know? He's like 22 or 23 years old. And, you know, they weren't, they had money. Like, it's not like they were living on the streets, but they were just like these Chicago people. They were like these kids, these hipsters in Chicago who went from having like, you know, a couple grand in the bank maybe to like, millions and millions and millions of dollars, like pretty much overnight. And that has a tendency to change people in ways that they cannot even remotely anticipate. So the relationships became fractured amongst them and that obviously trans translated musically or that, that expressed itself, those fractured relationships expressed themselves musically or the fracture expressed itself Musically, you get what I'm trying to say. Um, it was really interesting to listen to because he says that when you when you have when you have that much money, that you you like run out of stuff to write songs about, and so you start writing songs about like going on tour, you know. And I don't know what his song was that he wrote about going on tour, but it's like, what's that song from the '70s? On my own. It's like you just smoked your last cigarette in, it's like some 1970s song about like the hard life on the road of a rock and roller. And it's like, it's just not relatable, you know? And the thing about Siamese Dream is that it's a very relatable album, particularly if you were an alienated, sad, lonely, depressed fucking kid in Chicago in the 1990s like I was. That album is incredibly relatable. It's that our album, you could argue, is true emo. Like, it's, a, it's an emo album. It is just one long emotion from beginning to end, and it's an absolute masterpiece of music. You could argue that that album is in the... I would, I would put that album in the top five, if not the, the top ten, if not the top five um, greatest American albums ever made. It's just an absolute masterpiece. Um... I would argue that it, it is without question the greatest album that was released in the 1990s. I would also uh, be willing to venture that Nirvana Nevermind is way up there. That's prob that could probably be construed as the second greatest album 
of the 1990s and also in a masterpiece from start to finish. That, if you put headphones on and listen to that album from beginning to end, it is an absolutely flawless piece of music. And there are just these breakdowns that happen within it that are just gnarly AF. Just this, forget, I think it's um, Breed. I think the song Breed has this just super cool sort of breakdown thing that happens in the middle and then kind of like resolves itself in this eruption at the end. And, you know, Dave Grohl, at least, has very much stood the, to the test of time and has emerged as pretty inspirational guy, honestly. But Nirvana, never mind. Holy shit, the album after that, In Utero, is a masterpiece as well. That's, uh, I don't think that one got as much like notoriety, but that is an absolute masterpiece. And that is also an example of a, an artist reinventing themselves in order to put something out that is every bit as dazzling as that which was previously released. I think that that it is an absolutely masterful follow-up album. The first one, Bleach, I could never get into Bleach. I never liked Bleach. It was, it's kind of like the, um, the, the equivalent of Siamese Dream Gish. A lot of people say it's the best. I would definitely beg to differ. I had a friend, this dude that helped me get sober, actually. He, he played some shows with Nirvana in the same bill as Nirvana back in the day before Nirvana was anything, said Kurt's a good guy. Actually, no, he didn't say anything. I never heard him talk about Kurt. That's just me embellishing the story. I've been trying not to lie, <laughs> exaggerate. Exaggeration is a form of control, FYI, in case you didn't know. Just one of the many nuggets of wisdom I learned from the 12-step programs, or one of the 12-step programs. I never thought I'd be a connoisseur of 12-step programs at 48 years old, but here I am. Anyway, back to Chris Rock. So his, he, his first three albums, there was this sort of meteoric rise, and then it occurs as if he didn't completely reinvent himself. And the, this new one, I don't want to say it's, it's more the same. It was, just a little, it was just a little dark. It wasn't as clever as, certainly wasn't as clever as his first three albums, um, or first three specials. Um, but... That being said, he uh, most definitely got his point across um, regarding um, being, being liberal, not woke, being uh, concerned with social justice, being a stand for social justice, and not being woke. And he referenced <laughs> one of the really funny parts of it. Uh, there actually are some gut-busting moments within it, so I don't want to make it sound like it was kind of all political and no uh, comedy because there was some seriously, it had some very brilliant moments. Uh, but he's talking about uh, Lululemon and about how, <laughs> about how Lululemon has a sign in the door that basically says, we support all races and all colors and all diversity and all of this stuff, but they... <laughs> But they sell $100 yoga pants, which I confirmed. I went to the Lululemon website, and yes, anywhere between $98 and $138 for a pair of, web, for a pair of, uh, for a pair of yoga pants. And he basically says, he's like, I'd rather, I'd rather have some $20 racist yoga pants than, than Lululemon's $100 yoga pants. That was certainly one of the highlights of it. I do have to say, at the end, the, uh, the part about Will Smith was completely and totally unnecessary. He did not need to address the situation in the way that he did. I didn't really find any of that part of it funny, and that was the reason I signed up for it, or I, I reinstituted my Netflix resubscribed to Netflix was because I had heard that that part was really funny. I did not really like it. I didn't think it was necessary. I didn't think that those words were kind. I didn't think that they were necessary. I, I don't know if they were true or not. And it came off as 
I wouldn't really say that it came off as anything less than vicious. It just sort of came off as vicious, and it didn't, it didn't, um, it didn't paint out Chris Rock in the. It didn't. It didn't paint him in the, or show him in the in the greatest of lights, and that's unfortunate. The the thing that I will say that it did do a good job of, or that he did a good job of, is the um, addressing the the climate of the United States currently, and the division and the toxicity of the media. I'm not sure if he went there exactly, but. He, he just addressed the overall, uh, just, just kind of how things are in general. That the, he addressed the elimination of nuance. Um, he did a pretty good job of uh, kind of, um, what's the word? Of expressing the way that he feels about things, and and that's the way. If you watch the the document, if you watch the uh, the the special yourself, that I feel the way he feels. I feel the way he feels about things. In other words, I am all for uh, social justice. I am all for police officers. Listen to me, I see. I love how I say police officers now, like I'm all, I'm all haughty and shit. All of a sudden, it's like police officers. My whole life, it was like fucking cops, fucking cops until everybody in the world's like fucking cops and then I'm like police officers a uh, an eternal contrarian perhaps but I I'm all for crooked cops fucking piece of shit pigs being brought to justice but I don't believe that police should be eliminated or that police should be defunded I'm all for uh, people who have gender dysphoria and have since a very early age transitioning and becoming who they truly are. I'm, you know, a little skeptical about introducing these concepts to children. Call me fucking crazy. I don't know. Um, Chloe Cole, by the way. Google Jordan Peterson Chloe Cole, C-H-L-O-E Cole. It's astonishing that she is not smeared all over the news. You know, she's a detransitioner who had a double mastectomy when she was 16 years old. She's also partially autistic on the spectrum, has Asperger's, and thought she was a boy, transitioned to be a boy, then realized she wasn't a boy. She's been a girl the whole time, and now she doesn't have any breasts, is 18 or 19 or 20 years old, and can never have children. And Jordan Peterson just breaks the thing down about how he just he just breaks down the fact that he just gave her a or he discusses how he just gave her like a standard psychological textbook, psychological evaluation, and it's very obvious, the, and it, it came to some very obvious conclusions, I believe. Might have been in a different talk that he was discussing this. And, you know, dude gets, the dude gets ridiculed, canceled, whatever, got his license revoked, maybe his license to practice therapy revoked. I think, I'm not sure if that happened exactly, but they were definitely, it was definitely, they were considering doing that. This would be the, I guess, the Canadian government or the Canadian Psychological Association or whatever. I didn't, I don't see why we shouldn't be paying a heck of a lot of attention to Chloe Cole, uh, a, a fuck ton of attention to Chloe Cole. Not to mention, I mentioned several episodes ago, not to mention that I mentioned several episodes ago uh, my experience of watching the movie Transhood on HBO. I mean, my God, it's the fact that that is not being discussed everywhere and um, the fact that that's not being talked about in a fervent manner is just a little weird that we're not as a society united behind this thing so will smith or not will smith uh the guy who will smith punched or hit um i think he did a good job of addressing the fact that he does in fact support trans people that he does in fact support equal rights for all while at the same time going but 
but I don't know about this woke stuff. And this woman who I'm friends with on Facebook posted something. It was a meme. It said woke mob, colon, a group of well-educated people who are committed to social justice or something. And I've been practicing the virtue or cultivating the virtue of silence. So I just let the thing go and said some prayers. Um, I wanted to chime in with, well, what do you think of Chloe Cole? Or I wanted to post a video of Jordan Peterson interviewing Chloe Cole. But I didn't because I don't, that's just not a battle that I want to fight. I'm discovering that the battle is to be fought in the spiritual realm, I think, more than anywhere else. And I think that there is this very subtle sort of spiritual united front that has been there the whole time, but that is perhaps emerging um, more. There are a heck of a lot of people who are just falling out of this whole sort of thing. I mentioned Russell Brand, I believe, in my last episode. I talked about him. J.P. Sears went like almost a little hate, almost a little genuinely transphobic in, in what he's been putting out. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about his take on things, but his, his points regarding uh, the fact that we should be paying attention to this sort of thing are certainly worth uh, paying attention to or noting. And then there's this, but there's Blair White, who is a, I've mentioned her on this podcast before, she's a, a trans conservative-ish trans woman. Honestly, she's pretty hot. I have to admit it. Uh, Blair White is pretty hot. She um, has an interview or on her show today, I'll actually put it in the show notes, she's addressing this, this Jeffrey Marsh guy who, um, this quote-unquote trans person who, I, I mean, if anyone should make another person's skin crawl. It would be this, this TikTok trans influencer, Jeffrey Marsh. I mean, he just, he just comes off as a straight up fucking pedophile. And she's basically, Blair White's basically like, yes, he will be going to hell along with, who else does she say is going to hell? Oh, she says uh, Dylan Mulvaney will be going to hell as well. And because you shouldn't go to the White House and advocate for the transing of children and then have that broadcasted out over the airwaves. And the thing about Dylan Mulvaney is if that is a woman, he, he, she, she, she very obviously has a very low opinion of women if she thinks that's what women are. And the whole thing just comes off as a complete and total slap in the face, not only to women, but to trans women, like genuine trans women. I know genuine trans women, and they are not that. I also know genuine trans men or non-binary trans masculine human beings. I know two of them personally, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful human beings who are not interested in imposing this sort of ideology on others. That being said, if a person wants to be referred to as they, them, I will do it. And it was a little bit challenging at first to refer to one of my clients, one of my friends, as they, them. It was like building a, it was like building a new muscle. It was like they, they, them. I think it's a little weird that I'm calling him they or he, they. And I am going, I don't see how that doesn't have a, um, I don't want to say it's a little weird. It's just something to get used to, right? I think that it's something for all people to get used to. And, and then I got really used to it and it was really not a big deal after I did it once or twice or three times. I actually dead named them too on accident. I didn't mean to, but I did. That's like referring to their old name. It's called dead naming. It's a big no-no in the trans community or amongst the trans people. You don't dead name people. And the reason I dead named them was because the email was in their old, was in their dead name. So we had to have a little, we had to like work the thing out, but we did and it was fine. That being said, this Jeffrey guy, Jeffrey uh, Marsh, 
a, you know, comes off as a terrifying human being. I don't really see how anyone um, with half a brain could not see through the thing that's going on with him. And then this woman who I believe is a Muslim woman, she made just a little video about him and uh, addressing or voicing her concern regarding what's going on with him and that perhaps he is in fact a child predator in disguise. And then she got doxxed, meaning like her address was given, was made public and then a bunch of people showed up at her house and vandalized her car. And I'm really trying to not talk about the leftists the way I used to. I don't think that it is a, an honorable use of language. I've been, as I mentioned in the last episode, trying to be as impeccable with my words as I, as I possibly can. And the challenge I think that a lot of people are facing is almost one of like linguistics or semantics or how to use words in the most specific way possible so as to get points across or to illustrate points or to express ideas in the most articulate way possible. I'm really, as a person who's sort of naturally gifted with words or has, who has a, um, just a propensity for speaking, I guess, I can very easily veer into talking shit or the, the, that gift, or that, I don't want to say gift, or whatever, the gift of gab that I have can very easily uh, be misappropriated if I'm not using language that is worthy of me. So how do I, um, how do I address the fact that I believe that there is a legitimate concern that we as a society should have uh, regarding people like Jeffrey Marsh and the fact that this woman who offered a criticism of him was harassed and her property was damaged as the result. And so back to this meme that this woman posted on Facebook that had, you know, 50, not 50, 20 likes or so, at least 20 likes by the time I had seen it, at the time that I had seen it, that, that says the woke mob is a group of highly educated people who are on a mission to save the world, basically. That's not exactly what it said. Something to that effect. That, that's not what these people who are harassing this person for addressing a or raising a valid concern or mentioning, yeah, addressing the fact or bringing up the fact that they have a valid concern. And it is a valid concern. And back to Chris Rock, he did a good job, again, of kind of addressing all of this stuff. He, he also was, he was being unapologetically rich. He was talking about how rich he was and the millions of dollars he has and the fact that he has, he goes to Disney World with, and he gets the Illuminati, the Illuminati package where he went to Disney World when he brought his daughters to Disney World. He, he signed up for the Illuminati Disney Disney World or Disneyland adventure, which is like the extra special one for the super rich people. But he then juxtaposed that with um, the fact that when he was growing up, he went on the he went on the the church trip with the the twenty hour bus ride and the church trip to Disneyland, where they drove from New York City all the way to Florida, and they had to stay in some hotel in Alabama, and it was just kind of a shit show. The reason I'm bringing this up is because I found it interesting that he was being unapologetically rich, and I also found it a bit inspiring. Chris Rock is a human being who was given a gift. He, was a, he wasn't a big guy growing up. He was a little kid. He was a scrawny little kid, but he was funny. And so his strategy, his survival strategy for life was to make people laugh because if he could keep people laughing, he was in control. And he took that gift that had been given to him by God. I believe God, uh, humor is of divine origin. He took that gift that God gave him and he did something with it. He used that gift to make himself very rich. And it was not luck that did it. It was actually his integrity. So he took 
he took the fact that he was funny, hilarious, brilliant, and went out into the world, went out into the unknown, and as the result of taking his gift and going out into the unknown with it, he was able to build a career for himself doing the thing that he loves to do or is the most naturally gifted at, which is to be funny. So I, I say this a lot, that success is very often equationary. So it's a matter of what is, what, is, what is your natural gift? What is your natural talent? Are you willing to cultivate that talent? And then are you willing to take that talent out into the unknown and turn your life into an adventure? And if you do that, it's not that there's going to be a guarantee, but the only guarantee that we have in our lives is, is our integrity. Meaning, the only thing that can guarantee us anything in life is our integrity. Meaning, are we willing to do the work that is required of us to get us to fulfilling on the vision that we have for ourselves. And in order to fulfill on a vision that you have for yourself, you have to first have a vision, and then you have to be willing to do the, the work, which is mostly internal. It's mostly internal work that will guarantee, or it's the only, it's, integrity is the only thing that is going to give you the closest thing to guaranteed success. I think I'm articulating that properly. And Chris Rock, as are as has obviously a lot of integrity, as do most of the super successful, and even you know up to and including you know the Elon Musks of the world. Like the thing about Elon, um, I think Jordan Peterson talks about this in one of his talks, but or I saw a YouTube video about this. He is. He's just definitely on the spectrum. He just occurs as being on the autism spectrum. And I just say that as an observation. I don't mean that in, as any kind of judgment at all. It just occurs as if he is incredibly um, narrow in his thinking in a good way, you could argue, or in a way that is... The, again, the guarantor of success. I don't know enough about him, uh, about where, he's come, where, he, where he came from, or his history, or his family history, or I've heard he inherited a lot of money, or I don't know enough about that to be able to speculate. Even if you inherited, you know, a billion dollars, or five million dollars, or 20 million dollars, or whatever it is, and you turn that into like 150 billion, that is going to require something. There is some sort of equation at play there. And the thing that he has, I just, I just don't have. I don't have that within me. I will say, like that sort of drive to become that successful, I will say that having completed a book just about, it's probably, I guess I could I could safely say it's 95, 98% finished. Having successfully completed a book, I'm kind of like, or almost successfully completed a book, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, yeah, I get how authors become rich, and it is not fucking easy at all. Like James Patterson, I think he just fucking locks himself in his... He's got like a writing room and he just locks himself in the room and he, he writes with pencil in these, in these um, you know, what are the blue books called? Composition notebooks. In the composition notebooks, he writes all of his books in pencil in a composition notebook and he works on like 20 of them at a time, like 40 hours a week every single week. And, and I've never read one of his books, but I'm assuming that they're good enough, you know, they're good enough because he keeps writing them and they keep selling them and they put them on the shelves and people keep buying them. So that is a person who is deserving of that level of success. And um, this is where I, I wanted to address Cliff High as well. Cliff High, I just watched a new video he released. I'll put it in the show notes if you want to watch it. It's really interesting. Uh, he's talking about how there's like a new era that's basically says the illusion is collapsing. More, more and more people are waking up. There's just more and more people that are just like, fuck all this. This is all bullshit, which I think that it is. I also found it inspiring that Chris Rock's special was on Netflix and there's got millions and millions and millions of views. And so you've got millions and millions of people who are at least 
either completely agreeing with a lot of the things that he said regarding the division in America and this, this kind of woke thing, um, who are just completely agreeing with that, or I don't want to say completely, but agreeing with a lot of the points that he had to make. And then you've got a lot more people who are, maybe they don't agree, but they're certainly open to it or they have ingested these sorts of ideas. The thing I appreciated about Chris Rock, uh, I don't, is, what's his name? Is that other guy? Chris, Dave Chappelle kind of did a similar thing, but he, he sort of had this, he's got this weird kind of hateful tinge to him. Now, Chris Rock was hateful towards Will Smith, but, um, but Dave Chappelle just, he, it's like maybe you might be a little trans yourself. You seem to have a, a bit of a problem with trans people to such a degree that maybe you're into trans women or you're trans yourself or who knows. It just occurs like there's a lot of projection there. But I do find it, again, inspiring that these ideas are being broadcast on a large scale now. These sort of counter, I don't want to say, I guess counter-woke narratives or counter-woke ideas are being expressed now on this much grander scale. And Cliff High was basically saying in this recent talk that um, more and more people are just sort of waking up to all of it and realizing that there's this whole like sort of shit show with the presidencies and the media and all of that. And then he was talking about uh, capitalism and he's, he basically was saying that capitalism, which this is really interesting, he's basically saying capitalism is not, is not an ideology. Capitalism just is. So you can't, you can't suppress capitalism, it just, it's just something that occurs naturally. So even within communist regimes throughout history, there still be capitalism. So think about uh, like a, a communist a communist country like Russia, you know, back in the day, or maybe like Cuba, or what's that other, Venezuela, I think it's Venezuela, socialist country, there's still gonna be people selling drugs, and there are still going to be people buying drugs. That is capitalism. There's no, there's no, I have all of these extra drugs. I will put, I will upload these extra drugs into this collective and then the drugs will be distributed fairly. That's, that's the ideology, that's ideological, right? We'll give everybody an equal amount of drugs by taking away drugs from the people who have all the drugs so that the people that don't have enough drugs can get just enough drugs and the people that have tons of drugs they don't need all those drugs. So we're going to tax them or take those drugs away from them or upload them into the drug town square and then redistribute them. That's ideological. And that is not what capitalism is. Capitalism is just like, hey, I've got this thing and would you like, to, uh, would you like some of it? It will make your life better. This is how it's supposed to work in, in a perfect world. This is capitalism, which is basically what I do for a living. I'm like, hey, I've, I've got this. I've got this thing, I can support you. I believe that it has value, but I'll put you at choice via a complimentary consultation. If not two, if not three, I will put you at choice with absolutely no pressure whatsoever. Uh, I'll, I'll put you at choice as to whether or not you wanna work with me and, and I won't, I'm not using any sort of sales tactic. What I do just sort of speaks for itself and I believe it has value. This is the value I believe that it has. Would you like it? And then that person says, I thought about all of the things that you said. I think this does have value. I will pay you this amount with no binding contract whatsoever on the agreement that I can basically stop at any time. That is, that's capitalism right there. And that is, a nat that is like a natural sort of occurrence. And meaning it just sort of like sprouts itself up because I know that no matter where you put me, I would be able to offer the gift of Dave to whomever, wherever, where, to whomever is receptive to receiving the gift. So that is almost like the spiritual essence of capitalism. So if you were on a desert island and you were stranded there and there was a, uh, a coconut tree growing next to you, there, let's say there's a few of you stranded on a desert island and 
and there's a coconut tree there, and one of the people climbs the coconut tree, and they chop down the coconuts, or they collect the coconuts, and then they smash the coconuts up with some sort of rock or whatever contraption that they had to figure out to use in order to crack the coconut open, and they crack the coconut open, and now they have coconut juice, and the rest of the people sitting there on the island are thirsty, and the person who got the coconuts says, yeah, well, in order for me to um, give you this coconut that I worked pretty hard by climbing the tree to, to, to get, um, I'm going to ask for a couple of your, the beautiful shell necklaces that you've been making. And see, now we've got this sort of exchange. So it's very bartery in nature. And Cliff High is saying that, that you can't prevent that. It's just a natural occurrence. And when he said that, I was kind of like, oh, you're, you're kind of right. So I'm not talking about slave labor capitalism where the phone that you're listening to this podcast on or the headphones you're listening to this podcast on were made in China with literal child labor. I'm not talking about that kind of capitalism. I'm talking about catch capitalism in its truest sense. And this kind of comes back to that Chris Rock example I was using uh, of he was given this gift and he did something with it. And as a result of doing something with it, he got somewhere. He became very rich to such an extent that he can basically brag about it and get away with it because energetically people are picking up on the fact that he worked very hard for it. Just my opinion. Anyway, thanks again for listening to the Magic Pisces podcast. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.